Today I'm bringing uh, part two of our um, presence, power and purpose series, which is probably, I worked it out kind of, it's probably going to go for about a year. Every now and then we're just working our way through the book of Acts and we finally come across uh, a way that um, I believe everybody will get the most out of going through that book. So I'll be preaching whatever the Lord puts on my heart out of a couple of chapters of the book of Acts each time. And in the background, my dear wife, Pastor Kerry, is preparing the uh, life group notes um, and she'll be bringing an aspect that God puts on her heart. So we're going to get a pretty good view of what God wants us to have imparted to us out of this incredible book. You know, you could you could preach the book of Acts verse by verse for 10 years, I reckon, and you still wouldn't get to the end of it. It is such a rich work. Um, and today in part two, this is called Healing in the Glory. And I'm, I'm tackling a couple of things that happened in Acts 3 and 4. Um, extraordinary, extraordinary things that God did back then and God is doing now. Amen. So, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that your word uh, cuts between soul and spirit, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that, that Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. I speak spirit and life over every set of ears, <laughs> spiritually and in the natural, so that, Father God, we receive all of the richness of your word today. And that, Father God, that we are inspired so that your presence is poured out in healing and in everything that you want to do in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to go to Acts 3, and I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through to 10, and then we're going to break open what God wants us to, um, to receive today. Uh, so Acts 3, starting at verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let me give you a modern parallel. Let's say, for instance, there was somebody um, born to, within our church family with the deformity from the hips down, and um, their their legs, their ankles, their feet were never properly formed. And for 40 years, they were being brought in each day into church. And one day, God turned up and they walked. See, this man was lame from birth. That means his legs were deformed and completely atrophied. The muscles were completely atrophied. There was no muscle or muscle coordination. No one had ever been able to teach him to walk. He had been destined for life as a cripple from birth, and now he was more than 40 years of age. Every person in the city knew this man because he begged at the beautiful gate, which was the main gate giving entrance to the temple courts. The outer courts of the temple at Jesus' time held up to 100,000 people. And this man was sitting at the, at the, on the steps leading to that gate beautiful. I've stood on those steps in Jerusalem. I stood there and I took a couple of minutes while Kerry took a photo of me. 
I stood there for a couple of minutes on those steps and I tried to imagine what that moment must have been like. And see, when you're living in a, the devout city of Jerusalem and people are coming and going from the temple every day, every day they saw this guy sitting there, can you give me some money? Can you give me some money? Can you give me some money? And so he saw Peter and John coming toward the gate and he asked them for money, just like he did everybody else. And fixing his eyes on him, this is verse 4, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. This is one of the most amazing examples of faith in action that you will see in the Word of God. Because he didn't stand there watching after he prayed for the guy and wait to see the miracle start to form. He reached down and took his hand and said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as he lifted him, the miracle came. Peter, together with John, see, sometimes we have a tendency to forget to leave John out of the picture in this particular setting, but there's two of them. Peter and John are there, and what does the Bible say? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in the heavens. Governmental authority comes whenever there are two or three gathered in his name. Peter and John are there in the name of Jesus. They're going up to worship in the temple. They see this guy and this encounter unfolds. They're exercising governmental authority because all authority in heaven and on earth resides in the person of Jesus Christ and therefore it is his name that carries the authority. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So he issues the command. He says, rise up and walk. And we need to get past our stupid little religious objections to how this unfolds because neither Peter nor John asked the guy for his religious affiliation. They don't ask him if he's born again. They don't ask him if he has the faith to be healed. They don't ask him his family background just in case the guy's carrying a generational spirit of infirmity. And he definitely doesn't pray, Oh Lord, if it be your will. See, the guy that's with Peter carries just as much faith. And when he talks about Jesus in 1 John 3 verse 8, he says this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. There's not many greater works of the devil than a child crippled from birth and having to live through that for 40 years and his only source of income is to beg. That's a work of the devil. It's the reason Jesus was manifested. These two guys together operating in governmental authority are coming against um, something that has been entrenched in this man's life. And God wants to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus. And in faith, see, Peter says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reaches down and takes the man's hand. And in faith, in full expectation that the man's healing is about to manifest, he lifts him up and the man is healed so completely. You've got to get the enormity, the scope of what happens here. The man is healed so completely that not only does he receive new muscle, new sinews and new joints, but he also instantaneously receives the instincts and the motor skills that allow him to walk and leap. Have you ever taught a child to walk? This guy had never walked in his life. He'd probably only been able to drag himself across the floor as a little baby. He didn't have the motor skills. He didn't know how to do any of these things. And not only does he rise up and walk, but he begins to leap. And he does so, I would suggest, with great enthusiasm. <laughs> would he not? 
So perhaps it would be appropriate if you display some enthusiasm for what the Word of God is revealing to us today. Because I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. See, Peter knows the will of God. He's not going, oh Lord, if it be thy will. He knows the will of God, that this man be healed. He declares the will of God. He does the will of God by acting according to the faith that he has to take the man by the hand and the will of God is done. He doesn't in any way try and project any blame for the man's condition upon his past or his lack of faith or the fact that he's not a Christian or any of those things. He just knows what needs to be done and he wants to give Jesus the glory. Never be in doubt about God's will to heal. When we get to the end of this preaching today, people are going to be healed in this place. Don't ever come up with a theology to match your experience or your expectation. See, you could go out the door and walk down to Liverpool Plaza and and pray for 20 people in a row that are sick and none of them be healed and you could form a theology around that. You could say to yourself, oh, well, you know, I read these things in the Bible but it mustn't be for now because I prayed for 20 people and nothing happened. Or you could say there must be something wrong. Uh, There must be something wrong with the people that I've been praying for. You can't allow your theology to be brought down, the Word of God be lowered down to what you've experienced. One of the most amazing testimonies I've heard is the testimony of Todd Todd White who read the Word of God about this aspect of God's power and went out and began praying for people. And I can't remember how many people, I believe it was well over 100 people he prayed for with nothing happened. How many? 700 people he prayed for and he would go back to his mentor week after week and he'd go, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And Dan Moller would say, keep going, keep going, keep going. And now he has one of the most profound healing ministries on the, on the face of the earth purely because he took God at his word and he didn't try and limit God to what he was experiencing. Don't ever lower the word of God to match what you have experienced because if you persist in faith, your experience will match the word of God. I want to share a testimony with you about when God called me into ministry. And he did so in an encounter that I had in the church that I was going to. This is way back in 1996. And somebody was preaching that morning and they... uh, Well, actually, the whole service had become totally prophetic. And so I think it was Pastor Minter. There was a couple of others of the prophets in that church that were up on the platform and they're prophesying. They're saying this, that and the other. And the worship team's going. There's people at the front at the altar. And at one point in the service, I'm standing there in in worship. I'm not in the worship team. I'm standing there um, near the platform. And Pastor Minter points at me and says, John, God has something for you today. And when she said those words, I flew back about 10 feet, landed flat on my back, looked like a starfish on the floor, and I could not get up. And I was trying to get up because I was going into an encounter and I was not ready for what God wanted to say to me. And what God said to me was this, heal the sick, Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And you know what I only just noticed the other day? Because I read mostly the New King James Bible. And most of you know that part of my heritage is American. And just so God would make sure that at some point I would understand that he knows everything about me. Because they were the exact, that was the exact order in which God spoke those words to me. I'll never forget it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Raise the dead is usually the third thing in that verse in nearly every translation except the New American Standard. And so he was calling something out of my heritage in the way that he spoke to me. And uh, so I was there 
pinned to the ground. I couldn't get up for the whole service. There was a friend of mine, Alex, that was praying over me the whole time I was there. And God began ministering to me and calling me into something that I was totally unprepared for. And I was such a mess in my life at that time that um, when I went to Pastor Minter and Don and said, look, I think God's calling to me an evangelist, even Pastor Minter hedged her bets. Because she, <laughs> she said, well, you know, John, um, evangelism can mean a lot of things. <laughs> but praise God, he's a God of healing and deliverance. And he's faithful to his word. And so when I read those words, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, I've seen three of those four. When we talk about cleanse the lepers, I've kind of thought about that. Why cleanse the lepers? See, at the time of Jesus, when these words were spoken, leprosy was an absolutely irreversible, incurable disease. He's talking about miracles. I've seen the sick healed. I've seen miracles happen. I've cast out demons. And at some point before Jesus takes me home, I'm going to raise the dead because that's what he called me to do. And I'm never going to settle for less than what the word of God says we are to do. And when Jesus gave that commission, he gave that commission to people that understood only the authority of his name. They were not born again. They did not yet have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have the authority of the name of Jesus. We are born again. We have received the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that tells me that when Jesus said, greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father, that tells me that there is a qualification that I have to do exactly what I read about in the New Testament. And so do you. All of us here carry some sort of faulty mindset into the kingdom. Perhaps from our old belief systems or our religious inheritance. Perhaps of unbelief. And we need to understand as people that live in the West that materialism and humanism are just as strong demonic uh, strongholds as anything to do with black magic and voodoo. Because humanism and trusting in our own thought processes and worshipping intellect keeps us from the things of the Spirit. What God wants to release through us are gifts of the Spirit, inspiration of the Spirit, that we would act out of the place of the Spirit, that he will give us unusual things to do out of an impulse that comes to our spirit man. I came back to Jesus with religious baggage from my childhood because I grew up in a church that was quite uh, structured. It was quite religious. It was quite high church. And as I uh, began to mature in the faith, I began to read these accounts in the New Testament and see that some of the things that people took for granted in that church setting that I was part of weren't actually true. Because in Luke, uh, in Luke 10, for instance, Jesus picks out 70 of his followers, not just the first 12 who have already been sent out. And it says in Luke 10, 1, that after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. These were not the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, as we know. These were just followers of Jesus. And in verse 17 it says that the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, which begs the question of all of us, when was the last time you cast out a demon? Got to be quiet, apart from a couple of people on the front row. <laughs> when was the last time you cast out a demon? If these things are available to us, should we not be pursuing them? It's still quiet in here. Let me give it to you this way. When you read the book of Acts in all its entirety, put yourself in the account. Imagine it's you walking up to the gate beautiful. 
Imagine it's Warren and Laurelie walking up to the gate, beautiful, and they encounter the lame man. Imagine it's Julie and Judy walking to Damascus because they want to kill Christians and they have an encounter with God. <laughs> See, get out of the religious mindset. We are supposed to walk in what I'm talking about here. When you read the book of Acts, put yourself in the account. Imagine it's you walking up to the gate beautiful. Imagine it's you doing signs, wonders and miracles, even as you help with food distribution as Stephen did. Imagine it's you having the encounter with God on the road to Damascus when you are so lost and broken and, and so driven by old religious ideologies that you want to kill people. Imagine it's you shaking a serpent off into the fire after you've been shipwrecked serving God and you have no ill effects from the poison because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Imagine it's you being set free by an angel from a prison cell because you're being a faithful witness for the Lord. Imagine it's you taking the crippled man's hand and saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's so quiet in here. <laughs> You are not disqualified from the things you read about in the book of Acts, no matter what your background, religious upbringing or other circumstances you've been in. If you are born again and filled with, filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit, you are called to help finish the Great Commission. Now I see why God's asking me to preach my way through the book of Acts. Because by the time I get to the end, I'm going to get some response. Because by the time I get to the end of it, we're going to see these things breaking out all over our city. Come on, that's a statement of faith. <laughs> Let's go back to the account of what happened. Peter, John, and the man who has just received his miracle go up the steps through the beautiful gate into the temple courts. And people come from everywhere. And they come because they are astounded because they're going, that's the guy. They see this man walking, leaping, and shouting at the top of his lungs, praising God that he has been healed. Do you remember back in Acts 2 where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes and all those people, the 120 in the upper room, are filled with the presence of God. They spill out onto the streets and the whole city is starting to gather around in amazement and Peter gets up and he preaches for less than three minutes and 3,000 devout Jewish men are saved. Remember that account? Well, something very similar happens here. Because as they gather around, Peter preaches another sermon, and this sermon is less than three minutes as well. <laughs> Sometimes the length of our sermons uh, is an indication of how hard the rock is that has to be broken through. <laughs> Peter preaches another sermon of less than three minutes, and at the centre of this sermon is this statement. Church, I want to encourage you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not just preaching a Bible story to you this morning. I need you to get a revelation of who it is that lives in you and what he has called you to do. In Acts 3.16, at the centre of this, uh, this sermon that Peter preaches of less than three minutes, it says this, And his name... Through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him, that's the guy who's just been healed, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. See, Peter and John are at risk of being worshipped by this throng because of the enormity of the miracle. That's just been happened. That's just happened. But Peter's automatic response is to point to Jesus. 
His name, what name? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, through faith in his name. In other words, Peter's faith in the identity of Jesus as the Messiah is what has released the man from his crippled state. That's what we need, faith in the name of Jesus. It's not up to you. The outcome is not up to you, but the obedience is. The obedience is up to you. But there is uh, an extra level of humility here that we need to get a hold of. Because Peter says, yes, the faith which comes through him. In other words, Peter is not even taking the credit for the faith that he has, that he carries, out of which he has spoken. He's not taking credit for the faith that has released the miracle. The faith through which the man was healed came through Jesus to Peter. The faith which comes through him. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You came to faith because God drew you. And when you came to faith, Jesus gave you a deposit of faith. He authored, he inscribed in your heart this faith. And then it says that he's the finisher as well. And the Bible also says that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. When he made that deposit of faith in your life, it was a deposit upon upon uh, it was a deposit of something which was going to be multiplied throughout your life until it was finished, until it was complete. God wants us to carry a complete portion of faith into every situation we encounter. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You have been given a measure of faith. You didn't earn it. You've been given a measure of faith. And when you come aside with God, when you worship him as we have been doing this morning, when you bury yourself in the word to dig every enrichment out of it, what's happening is that faith, which was a deposit in you, you are stewarding so that God will increase it. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He has allotted to you. He has bestowed upon you. He has distributed to you. He has apportioned to you. He has given you a measure of faith. He's given it to you. You did not earn it. First Corinthians talks of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and faith is right there in those gifts. Now, I understand that the gift of faith spoken of in that place can sometimes be regarded as a supernatural faith for a dire situation. But I want to tell you, when you encounter a man lame from birth and you're saying to him, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and you reach down and you take his hand and begin to lift him up, I want to suggest to you that you need that supernatural measure of faith. First Corinthians talks of the gifts of the Spirit. Faith is right there in those gifts. And we are in danger of pride when we start taking credit for what God has entrusted to us by grace. Oh, yes, I've got great faith, brother. Just yesterday, I went and ministered to this man and he was healed. Your faith is a gift. As you steward that faith, it grows. But you can expect that you're going to hit some roadblocks and some obstacles and even some persecution along the way. Because watch what happens immediately following this. Acts 4, 1 to 2. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This is, uh, this is mind-boggling to me, that these people who were supposedly entrusted with the presence of God 
encounter the presence of God manifested in a miracle. And what, what do they want to do? They want to shut down the miraculous. This is what came against Jesus, the religious people, the religious leaders. This is what came against the ecclesia in the book of Acts. And this is what comes against us today, the religious spirit. The religious spirit does not want you to operate in these realms. See, instead of being in awe at the sight of a man miraculously healed who has begged for alms ever since he was old enough to speak, on the steps of the temple they themselves are in charge of, instead of repenting for their putting the death of the same Jesus in whose name the crippled man has just been healed, all they want to do is stamp out the truth and protect their position. So they arrest Peter and John and they put them in prison overnight. And this is the beginning of the persecution of the church. It's 28 chapters of the book of Acts. It doesn't take long, does it? And yet the persecution, it, it, to, to, to my mind, is, is the way it happens is so ridiculous because here's somebody who's been miraculously healed. And yet the religious spirit is so strong that they want to stamp it out. In Acts 2, I mentioned before when Peter preached before all the multitude that gathered around to see the result of the outpouring out of the upper room, 3,000 devout Jews came to the Lord as a result of Peter's three-minute sermon. And in this account in Acts 3, Peter's just preached again and even while Peter and John are locked up in the prison being persecuted, the word of God tells us that another 2,000 are added to the church. Because the word goes out, this man got healed. These guys said in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they got up. This guy, this man, Jesus, you know those crazy Christians over in that quarter of Jerusalem? We're all hanging out together and breaking bread together. And they're having these wild prayer meetings. And they're speaking in tongues. They're rolling around on the floor. They're doing all these crazy things. Well, those guys, one of, two of them came down to the temple and they prayed for this guy and he got healed. I'm going to put my faith in the one that... They actually say to us, we're responsible for crucifying. Acts 4.4, 4, many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. And in those times when they gave an account or they took a census of people, they only counted the men, not the women and children. So the total number of believers was probably in excess of 10,000 probably in the space of two or three months. Is that the sort of revival we're expecting? Are they the sort of miracles that we're expecting? I'm challenging me and I'm challenging you. That's my job, is to challenge you with the truth of what God's word says is available to us. All because of signs and wonders coupled with the preaching of the gospel. And I read through Peter's first sermon and I read through his second sermon and there was a common word that was used in both, apart from Jesus, of course. And that word in both sermons, both of the times he spoke in front of those multitudes, was repent. In Acts 2.38, in the middle of Peter's message, he says, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's when the 3,000 were saved. Here in Acts 3.19-21, when Peter preaches again that multitude in the temple courts, he says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, the preaching of the gospel is primarily a call to repentance. Turn from your sin and your unbelief and turn to Jesus. If we carry a gospel that divorces signs and wonders from the message of repentance, 
we're not actually preaching the gospel. And we should never be fooled. We're not called to be nice. Nice doesn't save people from hell. We are called to be authentic ambassadors to Christ. Peter was unequivocal in both of his messages about the central theme that that needed to accompany all the wild things that were going on. He had this one thing in his mind, I need to get these people to repent because it is only repentance that will bring about what God wants done. We are called to be authentic ambassadors for Christ. And yes, Jesus will heal people through you because he loves them, but a healed body is of no eternal use to anyone whose eternal destination is hell. A healed body is of no eternal use to anyone whose eternal destination is hell. If I pray for somebody on the street and they get healed and I go, oh, God bless you, see you later, what's happened? Oh, wow, man, this guy, like this weird religious guy came over and he said, oh, I think you got a problem with your shoulder. And he asked if he could pray for me and he prayed for me and I got healed. And yeah, wow, man, like it was crazy. Maybe he was like a, um, maybe he was like a Buddhist or something or pff, could have been anything. But if I pray for somebody and they get healed and I say, let me explain to you what has just happened. Come on, this is Evangelism 101. Let me explain to you what's just happened to you. God loves you so much and wants a relationship with you so much that he was prepared to miraculously demonstrate his love for you by releasing this healing so you would have a witness in your heart that you've had an encounter with God. Let me tell you what that encounter is for, what that purpose is for. God wants you to turn from all the things that you've done wrong in your life. He wants you to turn away from your sin. He wants you to turn for him because Jesus, the guy who just healed you, by the way, I'm just the messenger, Jesus died on a cross so that all your sins could be wiped away. And you could come into relationship with the living God and know that your loving heavenly Father is real. He cares for you. He has a purpose for you and he has a destiny. We need to carry the message of repentance to those that we minister to. In Acts 4.13, and this is... uh, this, I believe, is key. You know, we're a church that places a great emphasis on the presence of God. We place a great emphasis on the presence of God in our corporate gatherings here. But in so much of the preaching and teaching that you hear, um, there is this emphasis on our personal relationship with God, our intimacy with the Holy Spirit, our spending time with him. And in Acts 4.13, when all the religious rulers have got Peter and John in front of them and they're questioning them and they're persecuting them and they're about to lock them up for the night and all the rest of it, it says this about those men who were persecuting Peter and John. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Can I tell you that your qualification for ministry has nothing to do with your intelligence? Hope to, I, hate to, I hope to offend <laughs> those of you who think that this is a work of intellect. It is not. It is a work of the Spirit. They were uneducated and untrained men. Peter's skill was fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing. He was good at mending nets and he had a good instinct for where to chuck the net in, except at times when Jesus wanted to demonstrate a miracle and then Jesus made all the fish disappear from the spot that Peter thought might be good (laughs) and then overloaded his boat. They were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realised that they had been with Jesus. 
Now, it's very easy for us to gloss over this and look at this from the aspect of, oh, yeah, yeah, those disciples, they hung out for Jesus for three years. No wonder they operated in this faith. No wonder they did this. No wonder they did that. But that same Peter, now he was a mess before Pentecost. And then he got the Holy Ghost and things began to change. Amen. But I want to pull out a truth here that applies to us just as much as it did to Peter and John. They realized that they had been with Jesus. And I want to focus on the word with. They had been with Jesus. See, there are, um, Kerry will probably um, double check everything that I say now because this is in the realm of English as a second language, <laughs> in a sense, and the, and the meanings of words. Because there are three prepositions used in Greek that are translated as with in English. Now, this is going to sound initially a little bit theological to you, but I want to tell you it's personal. Because the first word translated um, as with out of Greek is the word meta, which means accompanied. So let's say, for instance... Come here, hun, just for a minute. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. And I'm saying, Kerry, can you walk over here with me? So reluctant. <laughs> what is she doing? She's accompanying me, right? You can sit down there, hun. Thanks for being that demonstration. <laughs> I'll take you out to lunch next week. <laughs> That's the first one, meta. The second is para, meaning near. So here's Renee over here, and I'm standing here. I'm near Renee, right? That's the second word translated out of Greek. That means with. But here in this account in Acts, the word that is used is sin, S-Y-N, not S-I-N. And uh, sin is a primary uh, preposition that denotes union. They had, uh, they realized that they had been with Jesus not that they had accompanied Jesus, not that they had been near Jesus, but they were in union with Jesus. Do you see the difference? And so uh, what we see here is a fulfillment of things that Jesus said to his disciples just before he went to the cross. In John 14, 15 to 18, Jesus said this, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In John 14, 19 to 20, he talks about the same sort of thing. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So you are in union with the Holy Spirit, in union with the Father, in union with Jesus. There was something in these pagan religious, not pagan, these religious people who were accusing Peter and John that the reason that they were marveling because that they realized that something had happened in Peter and John that spoke of personal encounter, ongoing encounter with Jesus. And something in them recognized that it was their union with Jesus that had produced what had just happened. And still they didn't repent. Not everybody is going to like your message. Not everybody is going to repent. That's why there is persecution across the face of the earth. That's why Christians are the most persecuted people group across the whole face of the earth and have been for a long time. 
Not everybody's going to like your message. Not everybody's going to go, oh, thank you, brother, for healing me. Not everybody is, is going to respond to what you have to say. That's why you're not called to be nice. You're called to be authentic. And even when you're being persecuted, they will recognize your authenticity because of the way that you carry his presence within you. See, Acts 2, 3 and 4 demonstrate all of this in action. Peter, when he came spilling out of the upper room and preached his message to these devout religious Jews, he didn't make it nice. He said, repent. And see, even I talked about how the gift of faith is a gift that God has given us that we didn't earn. Let me give you this from 1 Corinthians 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. But of him, because of him, we are in Christ. This is the grace of God so at work in us that we should be so aware of. And this idea of union with Jesus, it becomes more and more of a reality to us the more time we spend in his presence, the more uh, we commit of ourselves towards that relationship. If my Christian walk consists of coming to church once a week, and ignoring the presence of God as he wants to permeate my life the other six days of the week, something's wrong. Because I don't think it says in that account that it was the Sabbath when Peter and John went up to the temple. In fact, I remember in either two or three that daily they were going up to the temple and daily they were meeting together. This is a lifestyle of union with Jesus to such a degree that faith is the natural outcome. Faith is the outcome of relationship with God. I will confront a problem a lot differently when I've had my time daily with the Lord than if I'm just relying on my own instincts, on my own intellect, on my own understanding. My, my response to the things that I encounter in my life must be driven out of that place of relationship with God because God is always at work in every situation that I'm involved in. But if I exclude him from the equation, I won't understand what's going on. I'll go, oh, God, why am I going through this? God's always teaching us. He's always imparting to us. He's always bringing us from one level of maturity to the next if we would just allow him. But allowing him means coming aside and being with him, allowing that union with Jesus to become more and more and more complete. We need the fullness of God. Worship team, I'd like you to come up if you could. I'm not really uh, preaching anything new to you this morning, church. But I hope that you've been paying attention and receiving in your spirit, man, because you're about to step into the place of faith right now, here, in this building. Right now, here. <laughs> Fair warning. Because we have people in the, in the house of the Lord this morning and they're sick. They have infirmities. They have problems. In Colossians 1.27, it says to them, that's us, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you has everything to meet every need. So my question to you this morning is, do you believe that the Lord can manifest his glory this morning right here in our church in healing? Do you believe he can do that? Okay, 
Let's take it to the next step. Do you believe He will do it? And do you believe that you'll be the agent of the Holy Spirit in the process? I got a few less people saying, oh, yes, 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 that's me. We all need to put our hand up in these moments. And we're not out in, uh, we're not out on the ragged edge of risk here in this auditorium this morning. We're in a place where we can safely pray for others. We're not accosting perfect strangers on the street and saying God wants to heal you this morning. We're actually getting an opportunity in a safe environment to safe environment to put into action what we have just been hearing about. There is healing in the glory. And you and I are all carriers of his glory. So the first thing we're going to do is those of you who are suffering from an illness or or an infirmity, I want you to stand up. So there's a number of people here right now in the auditorium that need the intervention of the Lord. And I believe that God wants to intervene in every situation represented here. And he wants to do it through all of us. And so I would like everybody who names the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Saviour to get up out of their seats and to begin gathering around these people. And as the worship team begins to sing about the healing of God coming because of His glory, we're going to pray for these people. And I believe that God is going to manifest His healing, His deliverance, and whatever it is that people need. So those of you who are standing up, don't just stand there. You need to go to the people that need prayer. You need to go to the people that need prayer, and we're going to pray for them. And before you guys start worshipping, have any of you up here on the platform got any sort of infirmity or sickness this morning? Irene does. So you guys, put your instruments down. All of you, put your instruments down. Stop playing. Gather around Irene and pray for her. You guys are about to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit and Irene's going to be healed. I want to pray for those on live stream, those of you who have been struck by a spirit of infirmity, who have got, I believe this is a specific word of knowledge, there's somebody watching on live stream now, that you've got a disease that the, 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 you have a, a certain type of infirmity that is a mystery to the medical profession and you can't understand and the doctors can't understand why you are the way you are. I don't know what the specific condition is, but I know that God wants to release you out of that place this morning. And so I would say to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk in the sense of rise up out of your place of infirmity into a place of wholeness, into a place of healing so that you can can be completely made whole. In the name of Jesus, I release that healing and deliverance this morning. I thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in Irene right now, Lord. We release the glory of God into her body right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that healing is the children's bread. We thank you, Lord, as part of what you want to do. Andrew, you're going to pray for me because I've got a problem with my knee. Would that be all right? <laughs> 